This program is brought to you by We Hold These Truths. You can learn more about the books, tapes, and journals produced by our organization at the end of this tape. And now, here's our program. Good afternoon. Today we have with us Caesar Aharon, and Caesar has uh, just finished a tour here in Phoenix, Arizona. We're happy to have you here with us, Caesar. And today we're going to be talking about a very unusual subject, one that I've never heard a commentary anymore about, called Judaizing Elements in the Messianic Movement. Now, more simply stated, this would be uh, movements in the direction of Judaism within the movement of those who say that they are Jew Jews have, who have been evangelized to Christianity. Is that more or less correct? Yes, Mr. Carlson. First of all, I'd like to thank you and to thank the We Hold These Truths uh, organization for the privilege to to have uh, myself and my good friend and brother in Christ, Benson Melechson, participating in your programs. It's been a tremendous nice experience and I hope uh, that this won't, won't be the last time we see each other. Yes. I'm sure, it, I'm sure it won't. I'm looking forward to doing it again. Yes, sir. Well, uh, summarizing what is the Messianic movement, it would be defined as, as the organization that deals with the promotion of the Jewish roots of Christianity, mainly formed or led by Jewish people. That is, Jewish people, they have become believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, this group of people call themselves, I myself am a Messianic Jew, we call ourselves Messianic Jews. Now, there are also Messianic, so-called Messianic Gentiles. That's the way we can define Messianic Judaism. Okay, so Messianic Judaism is Jews who believe in Jesus. Absolutely. And Messianic Christianity is Christians who have come to accept some form of Judaism? Messianic Gentiles, uh, this is a very complicated uh, situation, sir, because uh, in the Messianic movement, I would uh, be as bold as to say that Perhaps 90% of the members of the Messianic movement are Gentiles. So basically the overwhelming majority of congregants in the Messianic congregations are non-Jews. Most of the leaders, like I said, are Jewish people themselves. Now, um, this, this then sounds as though Gentiles are coming into the Messianic movement and somehow abiding by Judaic law. Is this possible? Well, unfortunately this is the case in many, many Messianic congregations. In my personal experience, I have seen so many Gentiles trying to behave as Jews themselves. And this is a sad situation because, in my opinion, it is exactly what happened in, the, in Acts 15. According to the New Testament, in Acts 15, there were some Jewish people who were believers in Jesus Christ who were trying to force or to teach forcibly imposed the obedience to the Mosaic law and not only the Mosaic law but in a certain way rabbinic law imposed it on the Gentile believers in order to be saved. Now uh, a second uh, example we can see in the book of Galatians where the uh, Apostle Paul warns Gentile believers concerning the, the, this attitude. I'm referring to Judaizing, to being Judaized. Many Gentiles behave as Jews. For instance, uh, we can see in many Messianic congregations 
where everyone is wearing a talit, which is a prayer shawl, and if a Jewish, this is uh, one of the allegations of the uh, anti-missionary groups, those groups who want to uh, attack or to uh, discredit and, and also to disconvert uh, those Jewish people who come to Christianity. They say, you are going to a cult. You are entering to a place formed ma mainly by non-Jews who deceive you, making you think that they are Jews or they behave as Jews, wearing Jewish symbols, uh, saying uh, some Hebrew phrases, and you are being deceived. And in a sense, it is, it is accurate. Not that they want to deceive, because I don't think they deceive. But I don't see with good eyes Gentile people who come to Christ and then because they think it is fashionable because they think they are aligned with Israel, they try to behave as Jews. I have met people who, who even go as far as to put on filin or phylacteries when they pray, they put a mezuzah on their doorpost or put, a prayer sh uh, put on a prayer show when they pray and they do all sorts of ridiculous things that have nothing to do with Christianity. For, for, for instance, uh, I, I heard of a person who went as far as to, according to him, I honestly don't believe it is the case, but this gentleman told me that, told our friend Benson and I, that he had a bar mitzvah on an airplane to Israel, and that Orthodox rabbis did a bar mitzvah, performed a bar mitzvah on him, he himself is Gentile, and I don't believe he was a bar mitzvah, because this gentleman has no idea what a bar mitzvah is. To be a bar mitzvah, which means a son of the commandment, usually done at the age of 13, or the, if the person never heard a bar mitzvah, he can do it at a uh, later age. But the person to have a bar mitzvah, he needs to have a preparation, he needs to read uh, Torah reading, which is the parasha, or scriptural reading from the Torah. He needs to say specific blessings, and to be in front of a congregation, or at least a minyan, now a you, form of ten you, men. You yourself have had a bar mitzvah. Yes, I had a bar mitzvah. My parasha was Ekev, which is in Deuteronomy 7. Mm -hmm. So I have met people who, who try to behave as Jews so desperately that they go as far as to do the most ridiculous things in the Messianic movement. And this totally I disagree because I think this is Judaizing and Judaizing is not good for the cause of Christ. Well, in, in Galatians, uh, the third chapter, uh, Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who bewitches you? Uh, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was graphically crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did, did you get the Spirit by the works of the law or by the spirits of faith? So foolish are you. Undertaking in spirit are you now being completed in flesh. So uh, Paul uh, warned against this Judaizing in, in several different sections, did he not? Yes, definitely. The first instance we can find it in the book of Acts chapter 15, uh, verse 28 and, uh, through 29, where it says, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain, first, from things sacrificed to idols, second, from blood, third, from things strangled, and fourth, from fornication. These are the only requirements in the New Testament incumbent upon non-Jews who come to the Lord. Incidentally, the same commandments are repeated in the 21st chapter of the book of Acts, which is a symbol of, re, uh, of reinstating that this is true. The Lord, when the Lord repeats something twice in Scripture, means that He really means it, like in the case of the Ten Commandments, which were given in, in Exodus 20 and repeated in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And uh, then Galatians goes on and says, Christ reclaimed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for our sake. For it is written, Accursed is everyone hanging on the pole. 
that the blessing of Abraham may be coming to the nations of Jesus Christ that we may be obtaining the promises of the Spirit through faith. That's kind of a, uh, a Greek translation. I don't know how you that would it rendered in your King James. Well, I tell you, first of all, I don't read the King James. Okay. And uh, there's a statement that needs to be clarified. When the Apostle Paul speaks, quote-unquote, the curse of the law, it does not mean that the law brings a curse. Not at all. It, this means that uh, the law is perfect. That's what the Bible says in Psalm 119. The law of the Lord is perfect. Torah Hashem Tnimah. That's what the Bible the, in the Hebrew says. It's perfect. So something perfect cannot uh, be source of a curse. Now the, the expression, the course of the law, means the law is like a mirror to us. And it is so perfect that shows us how imperfect we are. So, so when we are reflected in the perfection of the law, we see that we are under the, a course based on our own imperfection. A perfect God and an imperfect man. Now the only way to see the law, the Torah, if you want to put it that way as, as law, because Torah doesn't mean law, Torah means teaching, is that a holy God... Uh, present and show to us in a perfect law how imperfect we are and that we are not able to fulfill and, and obey such a perfect law. That's why we need an intercessor. That's why we need the sacrifice who is Yeshua who came to die for us showing us that only one person was able to fulfill a perfect law needed to be a perfect man who was totally man and totally divine. Amen. Uh, now are the Messianic pastors uh, then rabbis uh, or uh, what is their title? What is their, how do they function? <laughs> you know, you say something interesting because uh, I love, I love my, my Jewish fellow ministers. I myself am not a rabbi or a pastor, but I am, I am a leader. And uh, I have discussed with other leaders with regards to this, uh, this situation. And I have been bold enough to tell them that they are not rabbis. Some of them call themselves rabbis, but they are not rabbis. Let me tell you what makes a rabbi. Rabbi means a leader, uh, uh, someone of, of uh, authority in the Jewish community. It's a Hebrew, it's a Hebrew tech, a term that comes from Rav. Rav means uh, superiority, authority. Uh, and uh, Rabbi, the term Rabbi in Hebrew means my leader, my teacher, my master. Now, in the Jewish tradition, in order for a Jew to become a rabbi, he needs to have what we call in Hebrew, smicha. Smicha means ordination, a rabbinical ordination. Now. In order for a person to become a rabbi, at least need to spend eight years in a Jewish seminary, or if he's an Orthodox Jew, in a yeshiva, which is a Talmudic rabbinic academy. Now, I have seen that most of the cases in the Messianic movement, these uh, Jewish friends, and many of them are not even Jewish, they uh, are uh, substance abusers for 20 years, as uh, one of them, so-called rabbis, uh, admits himself. He was an alcoholic, he never knew that Jesus was Jewish. And after some years being in a, in, in a Nazarene church, he realized that he was, uh, Jesus was Jewish and bingo, bango. Next month, some months later, he becomes not even a rabbi. He boldly comes himself a rabbi, which is one of the highest titles of, of, of a Jewish leader. So this serves as an example. I met a person. He's a Filipino. This person, his, na his name is, uh, he calls himself Yehonatan or something like that in Hebrew. And he says that he's a rabbi when he's not even Jewish. With all my respect, I say it. So, so this term has been abused, used and abused in the Messianic movement, and this has been a source for anger from the Jewish community. And I allied and agree with the Jewish community because they are not rabbis; they are Jewish pastors, uh, Messianic pastors. Hold on, let me uh, add something else. Uh, I, I'm not accusing all of them. 
I would say that most of the Jewish Messianic leaders are honest enough to admit they are not rabbis, but Messianic pastors, and that's the way, the best term to admit, unless they have a smicha. I just have the privilege to meet uh, uh, Shelley Volk, who is such a great man in the Lord, and we were talking to him here in the city of Phoenix, and he, he said, I, I don't call myself a rabbi, I call myself a leader, a Messianic leader, a pastor, and I feel so, so nice, so good to hear uh, such an honest person admitting he's not a rabbi because he's not a rabbi. He's Jewish. He's a man of God. His wife is Jewish, a woman of God, ministers of the Lord, and he's very honest. And, and I know many, many cases like those. Uh, now, let's talk about Judeo-Christianity then. In, in the Messianic churches, um, is the term Judeo-Christianity commonly used? Uh, what can you say about the term Judeo-Christianity? Uh, if you want my opinion, a very non-politically correct opinion, Judeo-Christianity is an oxymoron. But at, at, at the same time, to be a Jewish Christian is not an oxymoron. Let me explain. Judeo-Christianity, as is understood today, or, or as they call the Judeo-Christian values, the American Judeo-Christian values or the so-called American Judeo-Christian tenets of, of our culture, that is what I call an oxymoron. Why? Because if we say that this nation was founded on Judeo-Christian values, we are admitting that this nation is founded on Talmudic law, because uh, Judeo, what we know as Judeo values is rabbinic values, which has their basis in the Talmud. In the Talmud or in the mission, if you want to go 300 uh, years before the, the actual compilation of the Talmud. So, and if you go and analyze what is the, the Talmudic dictum and the understanding of the Talmud or the Mishnah, uh, what law is and what encompasses law, you will be surprised. For instance, let me give you some example. One of the tractates of the Talmud, which is called Sanhedrin, which also is in the Mishnah, uh, states that uh, a, Jew, uh, a Jewish person and a Gentile is to be executed for certain specific crimes. And in the Jewish tradition, there are four forms, four forms of execution, which is Skilas Refahenek Vahereg. is Skila stoning and then srefa uh, which means burning the hereg is a uh, uh, decapitation and henek which means hanging and in the case of burning in the case of burning according to the judeo values a person is to be put in excrement up dig a hole put uh, excrement of an animal up to his knee so he can don't move tie his neck with two ropes open his mouth with thorns and pour into his mouth melting lead. Can you imagine melting lead till it burns all his intestines? It doesn't matter how hurtful and how tormentous this might be. These are Judeo values. Do you think this is applied in, in our country today? No, I don't think so. Uh, and uh, tell us more about Tal Talmudic law. Well, Talmudic law is, is not, a, not that bad, uh, bad after all. But Talmudic law should certainly not be imposed on American culture. Because this is alien law to the American values. Here in America, we have, uh, thank God at least we have a little, some sort of freedom or much freedom in comparison to other countries. And Talmudic law certainly has nothing to do with freedom of expression, no freedom of speech, no, no, no freedom of choice to be, I decide to believe in Jesus, no nothing like that. Talmudic law is a total uh, form of, of uh, imposition, moral religious imposition by force upon those who don't agree, upon those who agree. That's Talmudic law in one, in one form. Now, do, do Christians who get involved in some of these Messianic congregations end up practicing Judaism then? Yes, many of them behave as Jews. 
Many of them, well, I mean, I'm not saying they are evil or wicked people. They are very nice. Most of them are very nice people who sincerely try and think they are obeying the Lord by keeping the Sabbath, by keeping the laws of the dietary laws, as we call it, Kashrut, uh, by keeping certain Jewish customs. But they are, mis they are misled, totally misled, because the Lord says specifically that the ritualistic aspect of the Torah was intended only for Israel. In the case, for instance, of, of the Sabbath, the Shabbat, as we call it in Hebrew, the Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy in Hebrew, Veshamru bene Israel et Shabbat, which means, and the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. Observing and doing the Sabbath throughout the generations as an eternal covenant. And then in the Hebrew, God adds, It is a sign between me and the children of Israel and a perpetual sign. You see? So it's a sign between God and Israel. And the same thing can be said about tzitzit, which is the fringes or the talit, the tassels, the tefillin, the phylacteries, uh, Kashrut, Taharat, Mishpacha, the dietary laws, the, the loss of family purity, the loss of shatness, which is not to mix uh, linen and wool together, and so and so and so. So the Gentiles have no obligation uh, to obey Jewish law, ritualistic law, but Jewish people. And let me add something else, Mr. Carlson, that Messianic Jews who are Jews, uh, um, I myself do it. The Messianic Jews should abide by these regulations because we don't see it as, as means for salvation, but because we see it as a, as a mark of the covenant, sign of the covenant between God and us. That's what we abide by those uh, rules. Well, what is wrong with the practice of, of the Messianic practices as far as Christians are concerned? Wrong with the Messianic practices? Yes. What's wrong with them practicing uh, these, these? Not, not only the practice, but the philosophy itself. When we, if we are talking about Gentile Messianics yeah. who practice those Jewish tenets, because uh, this generates some form of spiritual pride. They have seen many cases when Messianic Gentiles see uh, with certain kind of attitude Messianic Christians who do not do as they do. They call them idolaters, heathen, they follow pagan practices, and then they start accusing and pointing fingers and start saying that the practice of the Sunday as the day of the Lord is pagan, Christmas is pagan, Easter is pagan, now everything is pagan to them. But Mr. Carlson, let me tell you, there's nothing pagan in remembering the birth of our Messiah, of our Lord and Savior. And if we do it on December 25th, let's, so be it. And if we do it on the 6th of July, so be it. We remember the birth of the Messiah one day. I don't see any pagan in observing, uh, remembering the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord. And if it is called Easter, it has nothing to do with the goddess Ishtar. Uh, it has nothing to do. Most of these people are very ignorant on the, on the real significance of Easter. And I, I have done a tremendous study that eventually we might uh, deal with the history of Easter and its Jewish connections. And so can be said in Christmas, Sunday. Uh, so Messianic, Mr. Carlson, go as far as to say that the name Jesus comes from Zeus, the Greek pagan god, which is a totally, totally nonsense. Because Zeus in Greek, to begin with, is Yahweh. Yahweh, not even spelled equal as Jesus in Greek. So, so this just shows the attitude and the ignorance in so many Messianic believers. Yeah, others say that the cross is a pagan symbol. I mean, the cross is a pagan symbol. The Apostle Paul says that to many the cross is craziness, but to us it's power of God. Because it's the symbol is the, the, where our Messiah died. And every time I see a cross, I remember the death of my Messiah on my behalf. Let's talk now about the attitude of the Messianic Church toward politics in America and toward politics in Israel. How, you've painted a picture here of the Messianic Church that is a curious one. Uh, it's primarily made up of Christians who... Of are, Gentiles. Of Gentiles who are 
who are following Gentiles, not necessarily Christians, but Gentiles exactly. from all different phases, probably from cults, from other religions, from sects, from almost anything who've come into this movement. And then a smaller percentage is uh, Jews who uh, are, are Messianic believers, believe in, uh, believe in Christ as a Messiah. And, and generally, the Messianic Church, as you say, is led by, Jew, by these Jewish leaders. And, uh, and, and, and as you've said, I think that, uh, that the, the Gentiles be, begin to act like uh, Jews in many respects. They follow Jewish customs, okay? Yes. Now, let's, let's follow this a little way and see where it leads them in terms of citizenship. What happened? What, what is the attitude of the Messianic Church uh, toward uh, the state of Israel to begin with? Well, in, in, the, in their effort to show their allegiance to the Jewish people, most of these Messianic Gentiles support 101% Israel regardless, regardless, period. I mean, the allegiance to the state of Israel by Messianic Gentiles is even stronger than the allegiance of many Jewish people themselves. Mm -hmm. I know many Jewish people who would protest like, the, like groups in Israel uh, uh, protest against the injustices uh, done uh, against the Palestinian people in many cases. They protest. They don't. They don't have any regard to say, "Hey, we are going too far." But Messian Gentiles, they they don't care. They see the Palestinians as the devil, and they don't care about their suffering. They don't care about the injustices done by the Israeli government many many times. Even though I pray for the peace of Jerusalem and for the welfare of the state of Israel, that does not mean that doesn't mean that we are to to agree with many injustices done by the Israeli government, uh, specifically against the, the Palestinian people. So this, I have seen for instance in the internet, that these people say the Palestinians should be sent out of Israel, either go to Jordania or thrown to the sea. Death to the Arabs, said by Christians, Christians people, Messianic Christians, who don't even understand that they, have, they are mothers who have children, fathers who try to feed their families just like themselves. They are not dogs, they are not animals. So these Christians, I strongly condemn that attitude. To begin with, they are not Jews. They are Gentiles. And as Gentiles, they have no right to, to denigrate other Gentiles because Yeshua condemned pride. Yeshua said, you don't do that. Just like the, the men who went and prayed to the temple, and I say, I praise you, Lord, because I'm not like this a heathen. And the other person was striking his chest, saying, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. Yeshua said, I verily say unto you that the second one came out of the house of worship, purified, justified, better than the first one. So in, in, in uh, summary, I would say that Messianic Gentiles, in order to show their allegiance to Israel, regardless, they become uh, un unfair people and commit a lot of injustices. And but you say fanatical. Lot. Would fanatical be, be, be a term? Fanatical Many of them are fanatical, definitely. Many of them are fanatical. And, and anti-Arab. The anti-Arab sentiment, does a lot of that come from the Messianic Church? Yes, sir. But let me point out that they, in their mind, think they are good in, doing good. Yeah. So, so I would blame, in this specific case, I would blame their leaders. There's a congregation in Omaha, in many. I want to point out the one in Omaha where, where they have a flag of Israel, and by the end of the service they sing the Hatikva, the, the Israeli national anthem. And let me tell you, these people don't even know what the Hatikva means. The Hatikva is a, a song said by Jews, because it's Be'artzeno, our land, the land of the Jewish people. What does a Jewish, uh, Goya, a non-Jew saying, Artseno is not his land. His land is America, Mexico, Guatemala, China, whatever. It's not their land, it's the land of the Jewish people. So they are, don't even realize what they are saying. See, this is just one example mm -hmm. of what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I, see what you're, I see what you are saying. And we have seen this uh, fanaticalism uh, many times in, uh, in the criticisms that we receive from our own operations, from our own activities. Uh, if, uh, for instance, in 
publishing our book, One Nation Under Israel. The primarily the criticisms that we've had have not been so much from Jewish people, but from fanatical Christian people who feel that we're picking on the state of Israel because we point out the influence of the state of Israel in our own government and, and object to that, object to the uh, exaggerated influence of a few uh, very powerful Isra Israelis in, in having an impact on the way our government is run. And yet we find the resistance to that, the people that really denounce that, get most upset, are, are often Christians. Or, uh, well, this brings up another question, uh, they're often uh, not really Messianic, members of Messianic congregations, but they're Christians going to uh, evangelical churches, such as the ones all around us, such as the ones I, I, I myself attend. Is the Messianic movement having an influence on evangelical uh, Christians take the same attitude toward Arabs? I hope no. I hope they won't, but they, unfortunately, in, in a certain level, they are. But you know, I thank God that most churches don't, don't, buy, don't buy, at least when it comes from Messianic churches. I thank God for the equilibrium there exists today, because if all the evangelical churches would think as Messianic Gentiles, poor Arabs, I tell you. I mean, I have a friend, and as a matter of fact, he's here, his name is Benson Melechson, and he has had some tremendous experiences, and, and I would allow him to talk, because he himself has, has lived these experiences. He has a tremendous testimony about the uh, burning of a synagogue in California, and he will talk about it, uh, how he confronted some Messianic leaders and the response he had. So I allow my friend Benson to, to talk now. Okay, Benson, uh, welcome, and, and uh, we've enjoyed having you here, and uh, I, of course you have special you have special uh, experiences because you uh, were born a Russian, you lived 16 years in Israel, Yes. and now you're here, you came here and uh, you came here as, as a non-religious person, as an atheist maybe? Yes, I would say so, uh, although that's kind of questionable because a year before I came to the States, uh, even though I was raised in Israel as a secular Jew, I did go to an Orthodox uh, uh, rabbinic uh, yeshiva which is a Jewish academy um, and then I came to the States and went to a secular uh, school I went to a high school and then to college uh, to study to be a dentist um, and later on I became involved in the Messianic movement I uh, actually became uh, born again through my wife uh, my lovely wife that led me to the Lord and I'm very happy that uh, actually I became involved in the messianic movement but i did not uh, agree with all the philosophies that uh, i saw in in the messianic movement i mean overall i think the messianic movement is a positive uh, movement because many uh, christians for example want to uh, learn a little bit about the roots of their faith and to understand the roots of their faith it is uh, necessary to look through jewish eyes because the writers of the gospel were jewish and Jesus was Jewish, you know, and so uh, we need to understand the Jewish culture. So they have good intent, but uh, unfortunately, sometimes they even cross the line. They go and cross the line. Uh, as far as the support of, uh, is uh, of Israel, w blindly supporting Israel, for, I'm objecting to that. Why? Because first of all, while we are commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, uh, that does not mean that we are to take sides with evil. Sometimes there is evil done uh, by Israelis to the Arab, and sometimes it goes the other way. And we are not to side with either side, in my opinion. We are to side with righteousness. The Bible says, Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdof. 
righteousness, righteousness you shall pursue. And, and according to the Christian faith, even if somebody does evil to us, we are not to treat them in the same way. Jesus taught, love those who persecute uh, you, pray for them who persecute uh, you. And if they mistreat you in some way, you don't treat them in the same way. Now, uh, I want to make a, a, a specific point to show you how sometimes we go beyond the line in our allegiance to Israel and to the Jewish people. There was a certain uh, uh, Jewish uh, uh, library that was born, I believe, in California uh, a few months ago. And I was in a certain, uh, I was in a certain uh, Messianic congregation. I'm not going to mention name or anything because it's irrelevant. But I'm just going to make the point that the leader of the uh, congregation, in his showing sympathy for the Jewish people, and many of the people, 99% of the people there, are very pro-Israel in, in, in the service, you know, the way they're indoctrinated. Uh, the, the leader of the congregation suggested that uh, we should help the library uh, in rebuilding it and, and buying, sending our money. They say he suggested to send money to uh, buy books and rebuild the burned library to show our allegiance with the Jewish people. Now, this may sound very um, strange, but no, everybody clapped their hands and said, yeah, that uh, sounds like a good idea. I was the only one to get up and say, hold on a second, let's analyze, let's consider whether this is a wise decision. Because they said, in the libraries, I know for a fact that in, uh, the, in my uh, hometown, which is Omaha, when I go to the library, there are sets of uh, rabbinic books, like the, such as the Talmud. There is various uh, anti-missionary uh, books and uh, uh, apologetic books that discredit Christianity. So my question is, if we as a congregation are going to send money to rebuild their library, and they're going to use the money to buy books that are anti-Christian, that educate Jewish children from a very young age to hate and malign and curse Christianity, would this be a wise decision? Mm -hmm. And, and when, I, when I got up and, and said I could see that some people uh, were kind of fearful and didn't agree with me, but other did, others did agree. The only thing is that uh, uh, obviously I was standing against the, the message that uh, the leader of the congregation was trying to... He, he saw it as a threat. Yes. You see? Well, I might tell you, Benson, that um, I've experienced the same thing in evangelical Christian churches mm -hmm. uh, where, uh, where the, the leaders of the congregation are so adamantly pro-Israel that they, they, they really believe that the Arabs are not human, that somehow the Bible has denounced them and given Israel reign over the Arabs and that if they're exterminated, that that's okay. And I've actually heard Bible teachers in in, in, well, let's say specifically in a, in a Southern Baptist church, state that and not be refuted, not be uh, condemned at all for saying that, that maybe it was the function of Israel to exterminate the Arabs because they were, uh, because they were in the way. You know, this is injustice in my opinion. We have no right to treat the Arab people the way the Nazis treated uh, us during World War II. And I watched a very rare video and I was shocked and amazed at what I saw, at how the Israeli army treats certain Palestinian Arabs, both Christian and Muslim Arabs, who live there for hundreds of years, who uh, raise their families in certain uh, uh, locations in Israel, like the West Bank. 
And I'll tell you, when I lived in Israel for 14 years, I had a Palestinian friend. He was a Muslim. And I was always accepted very positively in his house. His grandfather used to kiss me on my forehead every time I came to their house and call me Ya'ibni, which is, uh, in Arabic means my son. When I, uh, myself and my father used to take uh, bicycle rides uh, going around uh, Haifa, uh, taking on uh, trips, when we passed through the Arab villages, they used to invite us to their home and uh, to drink coffee, even though we were just strangers. They are people like us. They have flesh and blood. They have children. Mm -hmm. You know. Now, I'm I'm not denying there's uh, terrorist uh, Arab organizations that just want to harm the Jewish people. But we Jewish people, we also have uh, radical groups. You see, yeah. and, and it's not right to group all Arabs as terrorists. That's and in, in many cases, this is uh, the attitude that I see. All Arabs are terrorists. They're immediately uh, discriminated against, and that's wrong. Now, do you have an idea of where this comes from scripturally? What they what they hang their hat on for the scriptural basis of this uh, discrimination against the Arabs uh, in the Messianic churches? Well, some of them say that uh, they take the the blessing that was given by God to Abraham. Uh, God blessed Abraham and promised that he would be a father of many nations and that his seed would increase, his uh, seed being Zerah in the Hebrew. And he also promised him a land. Uh, he told him, to your seed I will give this land. He told him, look to the east and to the west and to the north and to the south. And he promised, to your seed I will give this, uh, this uh, land. And indeed, God gave the land in the bi biblical time. God uh, kicked out seven nations, we read in the Bible, and, and gave the land of Canaan uh, uh, to the children of Israel, uh, B'nai Israel. But at the same time, uh, I believe in that specific prophecy where it looks to the east, west, north, and south, that encompasses more land. And even though God blessed Isaac, the specific promise in Isaac, and not... Uh, Ishmael, in other words, the Messiah was going to come through Isaac. At the same time, God blessed Ishmael, you know. Abraham pleaded for his son Ishmael. He said, Lord, may Ishmael uh, stand before you, you know. And, and God said in a promise through the angel of the Lord, I will not forsake Ishmael, you know. He blessed him, he says, he will become 12 great nations. So there is a promise. As a matter of fact, there is a messianic uh, prophecy in the Bible that when the Messiah will return he would open the, to, the gates to, to Egypt and he would call Egypt my son you see so, so the, the Arabs will have a messianic promise they will have a claim and they, they do have a right uh, to, uh, to be in uh, certain areas in, uh, around Israel no I can tell you in the Christian churches uh, evangelical churches oftentimes they just ignore that promise to Israel and they, and they convey that promise directly to the, to the political government of Israel and they simply say that whoever occupies Israel is ble are the blessed people mm -hmm. uh, but what is how is that handled in the Messianic church is it pretty much the same way or how do they handle that uh, uh, joint blessing that Abraham uh, God gave to Abraham that uh, covered all of the all of his children well they see it as a fulfillment of Messianic prophecy and they say well this proves the coming of all the Jewish people to the land of Israel proves that God is fulfill, uh, fulfilling his promise and eventually in the messianic time uh, Israel would have uh, the total uh, amount of land that was promised to Abraham 
from the river of Egypt, it says in the Bible, to the river Euphrates. So they believe that uh, as Jewish people are kicking out, bulldozing the houses of the Palestinians mm -hmm. and, and building new settlements and kicking uh, the Arabs out of the land by force and by uh, in intimidation, you know, by uh, interrogating them, by putting them in ghettos and putting fences around their houses, by by putting, giving them special license plate on their car that would distinguish an Israeli settler from the from the Palestinian uh, resident, and by uh, knocking on their doors at night at 12 o'clock and asking them to pay their electric bills and so forth. Yeah. By, by doing this, exactly what the Nazis did to us Jews, they're doing justice. So they're, for, they're forcing these people off the land. Now, you say from the Euphrates, uh, that actually would occupy, that, that actually would be Iraq. Exactly. So you're talking about uh, occupying a land that covers Iraq and perhaps Lebanon. Mm -hmm. and and uh, what what else uh, besides Israel? Uh, Egypt? Egypt also. All of Egypt. Yes. So this would this so so would some of the radical um, some of the radicals uh, uh, then uh, claim that they should be uh, given all of the Middle East? Let me answer that for my friend Benson, Mr. Carlson. No, certainly in in, in the Jewish tradition, no one expects to occupy right now Iraq or Egypt or Lebanon. No. No, this is regarded as a messianic prophecy that will be fulfilled in messianic times. Uh, but certainly, let me tell you, there's, a, there's a, an interesting uh, book written by an Orthodox Jew that uh, claims that Israel has the right to occupy those, those parts. Now, there was a rabbi who got killed in uh, 1990. His name was Rabbi Meir Kahana, a very ultra-Orthodox rabbi and a radical Jew who was the founder of the Jewish Defense League and a group called Kach. Oh, okay. Now, this, okay. this guy was a very militant man. He spoke like, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I detest what Hitler did, but to me he was a Nazi on a kippah with a kippah, a very radical man who literally said that the Arabs had dogs and deserved nothing. Merkel Hanna certainly wanted and had those expectations to, to have um, a uh, greater Israel that uh, would get rid of the Arabs, and as a matter of fact, his, his son, Benjamin Zeb Kahana, he proclaimed his own father as the Messiah. I mean, this is nonsense. Mm -hmm. They are glorifying and doing an apotheosis on, on, on a person who was a murderer, who was a known adulterer, who was an unfaithful rabbi, and a violent man. So, so this is how, how these mechanics work. Well, uh, I do appreciate uh, this time. Uh, do, you have anything, do you have anything to say in wrapping up this uh, fascinating session on, uh, on the Messianic churches, problems within the Messianic churches? Well, uh, to finish, you know, I want to add this, that many uh, people uh, uh, quote the prophecy that was given to Abraham, specifically to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse them who curse you, and in you all the nations of the earth be blessed, you know? Yeah. Um, that specific prophecy speaks about Abraham and not necessarily about Israel. As far as I'm concerned today, most Jewish people are secular, and 99.5 or, or maybe around 99.5% of all Jewish people don't believe in Jesus. And the Messianic promises will all only be fulfilled when the nation Israel return to their Messiah. A very careful reading of, the, of those verses does tend to support that because of the use of, of, of the uh, affectionate term thee when God talked to Abraham. He, he referred to him as thee. That's almost always singular and it's always affectionate. It's always... 
a close, personal, loving relationship, isn't it? Right. Whenever you see the use. Right. And uh, Ezra, do you want to add to that? I just want to thank you for the opportunity, Mr. Carlson, and, and it's been a great pleasure working with you and uh, with the We Hold These Truths Ministry, and we certainly hope to see you again and work with you more closely. Thank, thank you. you, and God bless you both. Thank you. The preceding program was brought to you by We Hold These Truths. To get copies of this and other tapes, books, and journals, contact us at www.whtt.org or email us at info at whtt.org.